I thought Jesus was for for people who were born with Christian parents. They were for Christians. That's how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by being good, being a good person and not doing bad stuff. And I had done a world of bad stuff, you know, and I just felt like it was too late for me. You are listening to Testimony, a musician's story. I've always felt like my life was a maze, full of dark nights and delays. Somebody hit the lights, now let me display my life from the stage. Boy, this is life from a grave, raised up from trifling ways. From a town when beef is high, don't speak, cause them rifles are wave. Most of my partners don't rap, they clap, they spend nights in the cage. Born from youngers, don't scrap, they strapped in their life with a spray. Word of OGs, it's like the Bible. Idols rolling in regals. I know at least 12 disciples on site who never met Jesus. Plus and crips on the power trip. Fighting over who block is this Mama's on their knees praying Asking God if he's watching this This is the story of Tony Tillman On January 25th, 1984 In Camden, Arkansas Tony Frazier was born He was the eldest boy Out of the five siblings that were raised by his mother But this story is just as much about Unchurched Americans As it is Tony Tillman Whole family from the hood Violate their laws and they'll try you Youngin told me Christians don't know dysfunction. Well, I do. My daddy's alcoholic. My older sister get high too. Like I mean, it was difficult. It was it was hard. It was rough because you know you have one mom, a mom working a minimum wage job trying to buy clothes, shoes, school supplies, and food for five children. So, needless to say, we definitely was on welfare, Section Eight housing, um, where you know we paid like maybe eight seven eight nine dollars for rent per month but we would have to move a lot because uh communities would would kind of push out section eight families and then as being the oldest boy it was rough because at seven eight years old i became the man of the house you know what i'm saying and so you know you're talking about a you know seven eight year old kid who don't even understand life you know really just started learning to spell his own name and he's given the responsibility of, you know, taking care of siblings. His parents split when he was around seven years old. And his mom worked nights as a line leader in a poultry plant that deboned chickens to package for companies like Tyson. A lot of responsibility was put on young Tony. The last thing he ever wanted to do was disappoint his mother. So he made sure that he kept his younger siblings in line. But once puberty hit, and he started to develop his own will and desires. He was done playing babysitter and out running the streets of Camden. What you know about Queen City? No crown unless royal follow. Arkansas is my birthplace where they look for hope inside a 40 bottle. No job, they work, though. Move purple in that new Impala. Them dolphins and these alcoholics, they'll do anything to snatch $40. Boy, that's the town that I come from. That's the place where I came up. Social life was like nightclubs. That if you flamed up. Bill Clinton don't live here, just dope fiends and abandoned children, no hoop dreams, just a couple shooters trying to hide a body in abandoned buildings, boy. It's too small to be New York, but the poverty and crime feel like I grew up in Detroit. Man, oh man, it was the jungle. It was uh, it was the jungle, but you know, I never really noticed it until I actually grew up. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was just home for me, you know, and 
you just used to the environment. So just Camden in itself, especially when I was younger, it had a lot of gangs, you know, it had every gang you can name as far as, you know, your typical Crips, Blood, Folks, Vice Lord. In the city, it was you were either black or you were white. There wasn't much diversity. We had one high school, one elementary, one primary school, a small community, like 14,000 was the population. It was either you either going to learn to play ball, football or basketball and get you a scholarship to get out of there or, you know, like, or you work at McDonald's or you sell drugs or you get in the gang and you get killed or you go to prison. You know, and I saw a lot of a lot of my family members do that. Like what you're hearing so far? Check us out at TestimonyStories.com. That's TestimonyStories with an S.com. Where you can hear content for you and about you. Everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a testimony. And we want to hear yours. Tell us how God has transformed your life. Each month, we will select a person to highlight and interview. Find out more at TestimonyStories.com. Testimony. Testimony. Where Christian hip-hop artists give you an exclusive look into their lives and their music. Take a journey into the minds of today's top Christian hip-hop artists as they open up and share about their past, their faith, and their music in ways you've never heard before. Put on your favorite pair of headphones or turn the stereo volume up and listen. Hey, what's up? This is Tony Tillman, and you're listening to Testimony, a musician story. The economy was bad in Camden. There wasn't much of an upper class. The only prominent males in his life were Crips. So, naturally, young Tony became one too. Hey, what up, little man? You know it's crazy out here in these streets, boy. Goons out on the prowl, you ever need protection, you know I got them guns for the low, man. I got introduced to gang life off actually off of an HBO documentary, Gang Banging in Little Rock. They did a cover of uh, the gang issue in uh, in Arkansas, and it was supposed to be a tool used to deter kids from joining gangs. But what it actually did was it put us on. It gave us understanding of what our like uncles and cousins, people we looked up to, were actually doing. Because we knew they were up to something and they were doing stuff. We just didn't have a reference for it because we were so young and still innocent, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So when I saw it, you know, I had an uncle named Joe, and he was my idol. And, and he was my idol because we were like, three, four years apart, you know. He was like my brother, really. And I used to hang with him and hang with his homeboys, and I used to always notice they all wear blue. 
Like they all were, they all wore blue. I just thought it was because they were friends, you know. And then I saw the documentary, and once I saw the documentary, I was like, oh wow, they do that. Like, oh wow, he got a gun. Oh wow, like he he throw that sign up. I be seeing him do his hands like that, you know. And it made me want to be a crip. And I went to him and talked to him about it, and he initiated me in. I had to fight somebody. I had to fight a member of one of the one of the cribs, like. This dude that was in the set, and the guy was like 17, 17 or 18, you know, and I was a young 12-year-old kid and went and punched him in the back of his head. I mean, I got beat up, you know, but I showed I had heart. Less than a year after Tony showed he had heart, and right before his 13th birthday, his uncle was murdered, a bullet to his face. The death of my uncle made me want to bang more because I, like— like, my uncle was like, I mean, he was a god to me. You know what I mean? Like, he was colossal in my eyes. And so rather than saying, I want to get out, it made me feel like I wanted to carry on his legacy. Because I'm, I'm the oldest boy when it comes to the children. Like, he was my mom's youngest brother. He was very popular in the city. Like, people showed me respect and showed me love just because he was my uncle. You know, and that's just that just how and he was a kid he was still a kid he just had that much influence and so once he died people embraced me more you know especially people from the set people that were crips and so um so yeah it it just made me want to be a crip even more and then i got to the point where you know i just felt like you know that my future was going to be the same as his i would die young and i embraced it because i saw how how people uh immortalized him. I had a homeboy named Thomas. He had an older brother named Sean. They moved to Camden, came from California. First dudes I knew that had guns. I had a homeboy named Durantrick Leaks. He used to show me pistols at school. And back in class in fifth grade, he had me like, dang, homie, that's cool. I had a homeboy, we called him Sag Dog. He used to always say he get cash. In junior high, he went to jail for life for a robbery that went bad. And then my homie Dietrich, he used to stutter. Was cool as ice, but always in some drama. Killed a barber. But then the El Dorado got life. Now he call himself Muhammad. Had a homeboy named Fred Gilmore. Not the dude you want to fool with. Dude was cool, but his screws were loose. He used to rob the dudes that he was cool with. I had a homeboy, we called him Big Man. Now no crib, the OG for real. Him and Fred had some kind of beef. and had a gunfight right outside my crib. And then this Bush Low, he Christian now. I still mess with him. But a long time ago, he caught a gun charge for shooting that pimp in them. My mama used to tell me stay away from them. But I refused to let that restrain me. Plus, I was caught between a family feud with my cousin Derek and my cousin Wanky. These the dudes I looked up to. Testimony. Testimony. Where Christian hip hop artists give you an exclusive look into their lives and their music. Take a journey into the minds of today's top Christian hip-hop artists as they open up and share about their past, their faith, and their music in ways you've never heard before. Put on your favorite pair of headphones or turn the stereo volume up and listen. Connect with Testimony and Musician Story through social media. Find links to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at TestimonyStories.com.
these the dudes I looked up to. Now back to Tony Tillman's testimony, a musician story. His uncle was his god. But a few years later, he discovered the one true god. I went to jail. I got arrested for attempted murder when I was like 17. I actually played out for assault and battery with a deadly weapon. I was in jail for a while, and then I went to court, and I was still a minor. So my mom was there to bail me out on what's called a signature bun. While I'm on my way from the jailhouse to the courthouse, the police officer was playing this radio program that was actually preaching about or teaching the book of Revelation. And um, around this time, I was kind of going through like this series of dreams and about dying. And you know, I was becoming God conscious. You know, I would have dreams of the end of the world, you know, stuff, you know, little stuff that I, w- I had heard growing up because, I, you know, I wasn't a churchgoer, but stuff I had heard about the end of the world, like God, you know, bringing fire on the world and burning the world up, you know, stuff like that. And then while I'm in back of this car, I would hear bits and pieces of stuff about stars falling from the sky, you know, uh, falling in the ocean. And so just uh, talk about the apocalypse. And so I asked him, what was it? I was interested in it. Like, what is that? You know, because I would hear God, you know, and God and the Lord and, you know, stuff. And then he was explaining to me this is a book of Revelation and I was just kind of confused like man what you mean like who wrote it and he's like no nah, it's in the Bible and I'm like how is it a book if it's in the Bible you know you know going back and forth and I remember when I w- was on house arrest I went home and found a Bible that my grandma had and I, w- I would read the whole book of Revelation all 22 chapters like every single night before I went to bed like that was my ritual because I was just interested in the narrative of the book of Revelation. I didn't get it and I didn't understand it. But, you know, I just read it as a story like this is how the world is going to end. You know, the more I did that, the more God would start softening my heart. And I didn't get saved. I didn't become a Christian for a few years till a few years later. But uh, during this time, you know, it really caused me to reflect on, you know, like my life. I thought Jesus was for for people who were born with Christian parents. They were for Christians. That's how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by being good, being a good person and not doing bad stuff. And I had done a world of bad stuff, you know, and I just felt like it was too late for me, you know. So after a few years, the Lord would always just deal with me. Like I said, I played it out on my case for probation and uh, a restitution. I had to pay a big fine, so I was back on the streets. But it was like I was more cautious because I was afraid of dying. You know what I'm saying? And it got to the point where one day I just, you know, called up um, this pastor that I had met and asked him if I could go to church with him. And I went to church with him a few times. And then the pastor of the church preached from Matthew 24. And that connected the dots for me about, you know, how to escape. Because at the end, he gave a gospel presentation about Jesus, you know, and how he came to forgive sinners and how he took the wrath of God for us and how the forgiveness of sin was actually offered to a person like me, you know, and um, that's what pushed me over the edge to know that, wow, I could be a Christian. Once Tony found Christ, it complicated his life and made things a bit awkward with the Crips. Just another one's like, they say, 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 they say,
I was afraid to tell people that I was a Christian. You know, and I was afraid not because I was ashamed of Jesus. I was afraid of like these. I, I had been knowing these guys my whole life. You know what I mean? Like my entire life. They were the only friends I, I had. They were the only friends I've ever had. You know, uh, they were they were my family. And that's how I viewed them as my family. We had been through so much together. I had did bad stuff for them. They've done bad stuff for me, you know, and I felt I owed them my life. You know, so then when, you know, now that my life, I've given my life to Jesus, how do I go to them and say, hey, you guys no longer have ownership of my life? We ended up at a at a friend's house. We're all in the yard and everybody's talking about, you know, what they're going to drink and what they're going to smoke, you know, and it, and it was going around in like a circle. And so when they got to me, I told them I didn't drink no more. And I was going, you know, I was going to church. They knew that. And that was, you know, that was viewed as something positive. Hey, he's doing something positive. He's, he goes to church. Cool. But he's still a crip. You know what I mean? And so um, when I said that, you know, a friend of mine, a guy named Mikey, he was like, yeah, you know, Tone doing this church thing. He don't drink no more, but he smoked, which is weird, you know. And so they was like, the response was like something on the lines of, hey, well, we'll, we'll get an ounce of, you know, they put out a number of how much we was, they were going to buy anyway. And I was like, well, I don't smoke. I don't smoke no more neither. And so another friend, uh, he looked at me and was like, ah, what you think? You a Christian or something? And I was like, yeah, I am. And everybody started staring at me. And so, you know, I'm pulling on my pants thinking I'm about to fight. You know, I'm going to have to fight these dudes. And so he, uh, Daryl, he, he looks and he goes, if you're a Christian now, then why are you hanging with us? And nobody's never asked me that. I never felt like, I had to stop hanging with them. I just felt like I needed to tell them I was a Christian now. And so when he said that, I responded and was like, you know, I mean, y'all my family. Like, you're like, you've always been my family. Like, we don't stop being family just because I'm a Christian. And they just went to the next person and asked what they wanted to drink. So it was one of those things where it was like this mutual respect that they had for me and that I had for them. And once I declared that, you know, my loyalty to the end, to them as far as, I don't see y'all no different just because I'm a Christian. I think they respected that. Lord have mercy. I came up with a flame though. Disrespecting them nines, baby. Crip walk with they hats, love. Get shot to death for that sign language. This is just the life they live. Drink and smoke the time away. Can't recite the alphabet. All they know is nines and gays. Shortly after that incident, Tony went cold turkey and stopped hanging with his gangbanging brothers. He had no other friends, so... Life was lonely. He got a job and developed a routine of coming home from work, eating, reading his Bible, and going to sleep. His knowledge of the word increased. And because he was the leader of his household when he was seven, once he was saved, he felt the responsibility of leading people on the streets who were unchurched. I started going back into the neighborhoods that I used to hang out, hang out in and go back around some of the people I used to bang with and share the gospel with them. And then they would have these questions, these spiritual questions. And I, I knew so much of the Bible, I had answers for them. So things that we were taught that were wrong, I was able to say, nah, that's not right because the Bible say this. And they respected that, you know, to the point where I became like 
like the Pope, you know, like it was, they even came to me, was like, hey man, I know you're doing your Christian thing now. So if somebody messes with you, you let us know, we got you, you know. The community was so small, everybody knew, and I had a reputation. So when I said I was a Christian, it spread, you know, it spread around the town. The more they would see me and the more I was consistent with, with my lifestyle and my life, you know, before people, the more they respected me. You know, even my even people that didn't like me, even people who were enemies with me. Testimony. Testimony. Where Christian hip hop artists give you an exclusive look into their lives and their music. Take a journey into the minds of today's top Christian hip hop artists as they open up and share about their past, their faith, and their music in ways you've never heard before. Put on your favorite pair of headphones or turn the stereo volume up and listen. Everyone has a testimony, and we want to hear yours. Tell us how God has transformed your life. Each month, we will select a person to highlight and interview. Find out more at TestimonyStories.com. Testimony. Download the podcast of Testimony and Musician Story on iTunes. Find out how at TestimonyStories.com. A musician's story. Tony and a couple guys started a rap group and performed at various churches and youth groups. He was given the name Brother Tone. He married his wife, who is in the army, and moved to Tennessee. He became a solo artist and opened up for Christian rock bands like Seven Day Slumber and Cutlass. Eventually, that led to opening up for rap artists like Tadashi and Trip Lee. Tony had a buzz going but took a break from music once he took in his two nieces. That, coupled with the fact that he was disappointed with the business side of Christian hip-hop. He had developed a relationship with Doc Watson and Derek Minor, formerly known as Pro. And once they approached him about signing to their new music label, Reflection Music Group, he was a little hesitant. I just felt discouraged at the the idea of Christian rap, Christian music being an industry. You know what I mean? I had met a lot. Like, I, I did some stuff with ministries, and, you know, I would sit in meetings, and all they would talk about is, you know, how much money they could make by selling certain products and this and that. And I was just scared. Not, it wasn't necessarily wrong. It's just at the time, you know, I didn't have the maturity to understand the business side of Christian music. I was on a tour one time, and I would share the gospel from the stage, and they would cut my minutes. You know what I mean? And I didn't, I didn't get that, you know? I didn't understand. I just felt like, you know, my heart was for, was for the gospel, and I felt like people didn't appreciate that. And um, I ended up leaving a tour with this one uh, church I was touring with. And, you know, they called me and was like, you're nothing, you know, this and that. And we made you and all this kind of, you know, it was just weird, you know. So I just felt like me, Derek, and and Doc had a had a good relationship. And I didn't want it to be ruined by music business. B.J. Thompson 
and we had a conversation and he was like, man, y'all do y'all friends. Y'all are naturally friends. It's like a lot of the stuff that, that you've been through was because, you know, was from people that, you know, you, you met on the Internet or people who just happened to call you from a number they got from the back of a CD, you know. And uh, it was like, you know, y- y'all friends, y'all believe the same thing. Y'all stand on the same theology, you know, like y- y'all hearts are the same. And we all was, you know, me, Pro, and Chad, and, and, and Cannon, you know, was connected, you know, with the same people, you know, even though we lived in different spheres. It just felt right. It felt like the right thing to do, you know. I, I, I had peace about the situation. Like I said, after talking to BJ and after really assessing the situation, you know, I was like, yeah, it, make, it made sense. Tony signed to RMG eventually changed his name from Brother Tone to Tony Tillman. The backstory on Tillman is, in the Bible, Peter talks about a Tillman who tills the ground to prepare for harvest. In 2013, he released the Tillman EP. And just recently, he dropped his first studio album, Camden. It's a heavy album. It's basically me connecting with people who come from where I come from, the same walk or the same background. You know, what I want to do was use what God has done with my life and tell that story to possibly encourage others who are either there, have family there, or have been there. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like when I first started doing Christian rap, it wasn't acceptable to tell your story. You only had to talk about Jesus. You know, that's all you have to talk about. Like You have to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're talking about anything else other than that, then you're doing it wrong. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I was discouraged and dissuaded from doing that. So uh, I just feel like now with what's happening within society and stuff like that, like especially with black youth or and not even black youth, but just poor kids who's communicating to them, who's saying something to them. Like they look like I remember feeling like I had no hope and I felt like I had no hope because I felt like nobody identified with what I was going through, except for the people who were going through the same thing that I was going through, you know, but I hadn't met a person who actually came out of that. You know what I'm saying? As a kid, I never I had never met a college student that come from the hood. Never met that as a as a young man, you know, and so uh, I just felt like what I wanted to do was just tell that story, you know, tell my story and connect with them and let let people know, like, there is hope. You know, just a few weeks ago, I got a call and and a guy used to look up. He was an OG. He was my, my OG. They called me and said that they found his dad with his head cut off. And the first thought I had was. Who's there comforting him? The only people who are in his ear are dudes who are saying, we're going to find out who did this and we're going to get at him. And I'm like, you know, church mothers aren't cooking dinners for him. You know what I'm saying? He don't have a pastor that's going to visit his house to comfort him with the gospel and let him know everything is going to be all right. 
You know what I'm saying? And that's the situation. And I, I don't think people really understand there are people in the world who are unchurched. What I feel like I wanted to do with this album was I wanted to provide a sense of hope through talking about where I come from and what God has brought me in and show people that, hey, this is possible even for you or for your loved ones. Like this is, the gospel is for everyone, you know? for everybody, not just for the Christians. Look, I don't care about the wells in the ocean. I pray we save the children. Head full of dreams, but their hearts are empty like they can build it. Growing up in the atmosphere full of hate and drama. Youngest turn to shooters, little sisters turn into baby mamas. Yeah, that's the life they in. Daddy on that pipe again. Uncles dying in the street. Mama on that bike in. In the fight she in, it's bad enough to make you crazy. DHS keep popping up. They say they about to take a baby's man. Early pregnancies, early destiny is all expected. Yet the media try to tell me we are protected. Then why the more keep on filling up and our class is empty? I'm sitting back and I'm starting to think this is all connected. This kid I know broke my heart while having a conversation. Said his grades slipped because his partner death broke his concentration. Say he about to drop out. I asked him why he told me what's the use of going to school when you only die before graduation. Dang. We walk through the valley of shadows. Thank you for listening to Testimony, a musician story. To hear this episode again, as well as past episodes, visit TestimonyStories.com. Until next time, I'm Brown Theory, the music lover constantly seeking positive music. <laughs>